All right. Well, I want to start off tonight by reading First uh, Peter. First Peter, the third chapter. You know, often talk about all these love scriptures. If it, you know, tells us how to treat people and all that, but it starts with our marriages. First Peter three and seven. It says, likewise, uh, let me see here. Well, let's, let's start at verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. In subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That verse 7 from the Amplified says, In the same way you married men should live considerately with your wives. With an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation, honoring the woman as physically the weaker, but realizing that you are joint heirs of the grace, God's merited favor, unmerited favor of life, in order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off. Otherwise, you cannot pray effectively. And then Ephesians, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter. Verse 31 and 32. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speak and be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now these verses here I just read from Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Those are just talking about how we interact with anyone. Um, particularly how we conduct ourselves <coughs> in any relationship, just as Christians, not spe not speaking in a way that's bitter or or wrathful or anger, or with anger, e evil speaking, having malice, but being kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And so, I want to talk about something that uh, I don't think a lot of people talk about in Christian marriages, but I can tell you as a result of us having done marriage counseling for many years and see marriages that um, unfortunately have disintegrated and broken up. It's because of something many times that we think doesn't take place in Christian marriages, and that is abuse. So I want to talk about abuse tonight and what abuse looks like. Now, now the first thing when we think of abuse, we automatically think of physical, physical abuse. That's the most, that's the most obvious. That's the most obvious, but as we talk tonight, we're going to see that's not the only type of abuse. We have seen marriages, unfortunately, disintegrate, um, end up in divorce because of abuse. Um, I know marriages that it, 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 it was not, it, the marriage didn't break up because of infidelity. The marriage broke up because of abuse that started after infidelity. Um, or or um, you know other other types of abuse 
where people, particularly, sometimes people wonder, how, how can a couple be married 30, 40 years, and then all of a sudden decide I'm out? And what we've seen in those cases, many cases in those situations, there's been abuse that's gone on for many years. And then one or the other will say, you know what? I only got so many years left and I don't want to do this anymore. So I want to want to talk about that tonight. And so, again, the first most obvious kind of abuse that we're aware of is physical abuse, you know, which is violence and also threat, threats of violence that can that can be hitting, punching, kicking, or other physical harm, hair pulling. Well, in some cases, hair pulling, that could, that could be your own thing going on there. But I'm talking about abusive hair pulling. Um, using objects or weapons that can cause harm, or even threatening to use weapons, or threatening or using a weapon as a threat to your spouse. Um, physically restraining them, uh, preventing your partner from eating, or sleeping, and uh, threatening to repeat physical harm. And I know a lot of people will be surprised, but even over the years, we have known of couples, and you know, they they can look. Sometimes it's been going on for years. We've known of older couples. We've known of younger couples where there was physical abuse going on, and they can be in the church and they can have titles. But at home, they're fighting. At home, they're beating their wife. Um, in some cases, we, I know of a case where a woman was physically abusing her husband. You know, interesting thing, I, I grew up, uh, when I grew up as a project in Jersey City, there, was a, um, there weren't many white people that lived in the in the, uh, project where I was. It was mainly African-Americans and Puerto Ricans. But right down the hall from me, there was a, well, I was a kid. So I say older white couple. I'm saying they're probably in their 40s or 50s. And um, he said, he, he said, he used to get a, um, he, he would run, run door to door. Please help me. Let me in. He, that woman would beat him where he would be all bruised up and have black eyes and bloody noses and all that. And needless to say, these things should not be happening in a Christian marriage. Um, putting, you know, causing physical harm. So the most obvious that we many times know about is physical abuse. But, let, but let's, let's go on to talk about some of the more maybe subtle ones that we're not always conscious of. That's abuse. And the next one I want to mention is emotional and psychological abuse. Emotional psychological abuse can be insults, threats, isolation, um, extreme jealousy, and other controlling behaviors. You know, that can take the take on a form of name calling, belittling, humiliating your spouse, um, yelling and screaming. Uh, yeah, and you know, which also which is emotional and psychological abuse, but it's also verbal abuse when you when you're yelling and, and screaming. The whole thing talk a little bit about belittling. Talk a little bit about belittling and humiliation. Because that could that's that seems like it's broad. It could be very broad. Well, I think um, uh, what, what belittling and and humiliation that could be public or private. You know, by yourself, it could just be saying saying mean things, um, telling your spouse that they're stupid, uh, telling them I don't I don't know what's wrong with you, 
um, belittling them, humiliating them is, is making them feel making them feel less than, making them feel that that they don't measure up. Um, you got any other examples of that? I was just curious because it seems so broad, and and it could be subjective. Mm-hmm. Because one spouse could be feeling this way, and the other spouse can be like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah. Um, it also, emotional psychological abuse can be controlling controlling what your partner does, what they wear, or where they go. Now, I'm sure we can deal with that one in the because some of this stuff we do in the name of Christianity. Mm. You know, um, you know, historically, a man may tell his wife, "You ain't wearing that." Okay, um, and you know, you know, one of the things I I, I had to even come to realize is that it, that there's certain there's certain preferences and things that I want from you as my wife, but I also had to recognize those things need to be given and done voluntarily. Definitely, because at the end of the day, you're dealing with a grown person, full grown person, a full fully grown person, and grown people have the right to make choices. Mm-hmm. Ideally. Um, because we're married, you, we want the, we want our opinions or our preferences as their husband or spouse to, or wife to weigh in on those choices. But at the end of the day, they have the ability to make choices. And when one is not allowed to make choices, that's a form of domination and control, which is abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, controlling what your partner does. And, you know, we've even, you know, we've seen of this. Uh, Isolation from family or from friends and family. Another form of emotional and psychological abuse. Where once, where one don't allow their spouse to be around their family or around their friends. And in some cases, you, you might even have good reason for it. Well, I don't think they're good for you. I, when you get around them, you do something, such, you act certain, in a certain way. But again, coming back to the fact that we're dealing with grown people. And even though you may have your preferences, when you start con- trying to control somebody or making somebody do something or threatening someone if they do or don't, that's a form of abuse. And a lot of times that's happening. That's happening even in, in Christian marriages, unfortunately. Um. Threatening to commit suicide if a partner leaves or or threatening to do something to yourself if they do something. That's a form of, of emotional and psychological abuse. You know, I call it emotional kid kidnapping and, and emotional holding someone emotionally hostage. If you do this, I'm going I'm, I'm going to do this to myself. And and again, trying trying to control them through that way. Um, of course, of course, threatening, even if you. You know, threat threatening, and even even if you just saying in anger, uh, and you don't mean it, but you still say it. You know, threatening to kill you to kill your partner. You know, I'll kill you if this ever happens. That type of thing, or their loved ones, or even a pet. Um, we've seen this happen. Another form of this emotional psychological is destroying somebody's property. You know, something that's that's near and dear to your spouse because they like it. You know, you destroy it out of anger. You do something to that thing or that, you know, how that song go? Knock the windows out your car. <laughs> um, gaslighting, which is manip- manipulating your partner into questioning their own sanity. 
You know anything about these things? Mm -mm. Wait, 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 huh? Quite interesting. Yeah, where you try to make somebody think they crazy. Mm, that's deep. Yeah, trying to make them think they're crazy. Um, and blaming, uh, blaming your partner for abusive behavior. So this is when somebody does something that's abusive, says something that's abusive, acts in an abusive way, whether physically or verbally or whatever, and then say, then blame the other person. You don't want to make, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't do that. If you would just listen to me, if you would just, if you didn't do this, if you didn't stay out late, if you didn't, whatever. And so I often say this, that uh, even, even in our, you know, the Bible tells us to be, to be angry, but, but sin not. Um, so, which means that even when we're angry, we have to be, we're responsible for our behavior. I often say we're, we're responsible both for our actions and our reactions. Our actions and our reactions. Okay. Uh, let me talk about another one here. Sexual, sexual abuse. How can sexual abuse take place in, in a marriage? Uh, first, first Corinthians 7. First Corinthians 7. 3 through 5 talks about how things ought to be in terms of the understanding regarding sex in a marriage. First, first Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, it says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto her, to the husband. The wife has not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband, not power over of his body, but the wife defraud ye not one another, except to be with, with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not to your incontinency. That verse five from the Amplified says, do not refuse or deprive or defraud each other of your due marital rights. It's talking about uh, sexual relations here, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time. I think that's a that's a good word there that the Amplified uses. That in even in the Christian marriage, in the Christian marriage, what you do sexually should be with mutual consent, so that you may devote yourselves unhindered to prayer. But afterwards, resume marital relations, lest Satan tempt you to sin through your lack of restraint of sexual desire. So the Bible outlines that. Sex ought to be frequent. It ought to be. Um, it ought to be consensual, and it, and and that each should not use their body to try to control the other person, or as a threat to to the other person. So, what does what 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 in what form can marriage have sexual abuse when there's un uh, unwanted sexual contact? Okay. Um, you know, um, touching, kissing, whatever, which ought to be fine. But if it's something that your wife doesn't like, your husband doesn't like, that's uncomfortable, that could be a form of sex abuse. Of course, rape and attended and attempted rape. People, people have questioned: Can you, can you have, can you, can, can a Christian, can there be rape in a marriage? Yeah, that's a question for a lot of people. I'm asking you. If it's without consent. If it's without consent, right. So even in, even in the marriage, sex, your sexual contact in relation should be consensual. Okay. Um, 
Mm, let me see here. Uh, let me see. One of these I want to mention here. Um, preventing access to, to contraception. Refuse, refusing to use it or purposefully damaging it. Okay. Um, and there have been sit situations where, well, that, that, that's going to get too deep. I'm not going to go into that. Um, yeah, so in any type of way that you try to use sex to control or to manipulate in your marriage, whether that's withholding or being overly aggressive, whatever, that can be a form of sexual abuse. And then then I want to end with this and, and, we, and we talk about some of these things and to make sure that we're not even getting borderline to the point of being abusive in these areas. Other types of abuse can, is particularly got to think about today is digital abuse. Digital abuse is constantly demanding to look at your partner's phone, mm. monitoring their emails or texts, posting hurtful information on pictures or pictures on social media, and also sending threatening texts or emails. Now, I'm sure that there are using sometimes, sometimes these things can be unwarranted. Sometimes it's in response to someone feeling violated, there's been infidelity or mistrust. And at some point, you gotta, y'all gotta work that out. That that doesn't become abusive. And I, even as I talk about this, when you start treating your grown spouse like a child mm. in any way, mm. that's abusive. Yeah, that's abusive. Financial abuse. It's financial abuse when you use money to manipulate and, and control your partner. Um. Uh, by you know either not allowing them to work, not allowing them to have money, not allowing them to go to school, not giving them money for necessities, or stealing their possess their money or, or possessions. And then, um, you know, stalking, stalking is a form of abuse, where you're following somebody around, trying to mo you're monitoring them, harassing someone, or causing them to uh, to fear for their safety. So I know this is a you know, some people may think this is an extreme topic, but um, can I tell you that we know and have counseled couples over the years that in one form or another have been abusive and it constantly deteriorates and chips against the marriage and in many cases has led to the complete demise of the marriage because of abuse in one form or another. And some sometimes people can say, well, this is just the way I am, or I didn't mean anything by it. But at the end of the day, it boils down to we're being abusive. So, panel, what's your thoughts about this? It's a hot subject. Um, you sort of helped me out. I always wonder what the gaslighting is, because I've seen examples of like, you're gaslighting me or hearing people converse on that matter. Yeah. But um, uh, so I'm glad you broke that down. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the first thing many people marry when you hear the word abuse, you think of like physical contact or like something like aggressive like that. But the whole emotional and manipulative side, that's a real big area. And you could accidentally do it if it was done to you uh, based on your background or or how you were raised and, and, and family dynamics and family styles and all that. So it's, I'm so glad we sort of 
uh, pinpoint a lot of those things. I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in hearing everyone's view on the stage and even those who may come up and speak and either share their experience later on or, or whatnot on how they navigate and all those. But all those Bishop, Dr. Marsha are, are really good to look at and, and weigh out and see if there's any even small leakage of any areas where, man, it might be some abusive trying to come into my, abusive tendencies coming into my marriage per se. So that was good. Yeah, I'm I'm curious if anyone had recognized in some type of way you were being abusive and realized this is behavior that I need I need to change. And maybe something that you saw patterns for you, either directly, indirectly through your parents or through, you know, some sometimes we can just you can talk to your spouse in an abusive way just because you've seen somebody else talking to their spouse like that. Or whether that's your parents or somebody else at church or whatever. And so I'm curious if there are any people who recognize, you know, this is an area that I had to, that I had to recognize and change. You know, when I did a study a few years ago about, um, about verbal abuse. Okay. So when I think of verbal abuse, I think of yelling and screaming and cussing somebody out. And so I made in my mind, I wasn't going to do that. I wouldn't. But then when you, when you, when I saw that also ignoring and refusing to talk, which is which is also referred to as stonewalling, is also a form of verbal abuse. So I will act like you're not here. I will listen to you. I won't respond to you. That's another form also of verbal abuse. And so we think of the extreme of yelling and cussing and calling somebody out their name and, and calling them derogatory terms, but also just sometimes even just refusing to, to talk or to ignore, or ignoring the person can also be a form of, of abuse. Adrian Jamal, your thoughts. Um, this is this this is heavy. <laughs> yes, um, it's it's heavy, but it's good. But I think, um, and I can I'll say this about myself. I think one of the things that we talked about that you talked about, um, was the emotional and sexual abuse and i think a lot of times at least for me um i didn't realize that that was what i was doing mm. um because there would be times where we might get into an argument or you know he would say something or do something that i didn't like or whatever and the shop would be shut down mm. but really that is me trying to manipulate him and get him to do what I wanted to do. But I didn't think of that as being abusive. It was just, I'm mad. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. You know, yeah. like that, that was just my response of, of, well, I'm mad at you and you got to pay a consequence because I'm mad. And so I'm going to shut this off. And so I think, um, kind of like what uh, Pastor Chandler said a little while ago, it's like some of these things, you know, obviously the more outward things of physical abuse and things like that, the majority of us are not doing, thank you, Jesus. But I think we really have to look internally to say, okay, what behaviors am I exhibiting or, or responding with that may be entryways into something a little bit uh, more covert, like emo something that's hitting more on the emotional level or something that's hitting um, 
with um it, or that could be viewed as verbal abuse and like what is it that what what are some things that i'm doing um and, and just being real introspective and saying okay what is it that i'm doing that could be hitting on some of these other areas or hitting in some of these other areas that are not necessarily as visible and am i being abusive and what do i need to do to change that that's good agent i got a question for you because you said i was going to ask you the question and you said the word um introspective mm-hmm. and, and um not everyone have those skills to be introspective to to take a moment to is that it does require skill well the it does ability, require willingness to do will, this or a willingness or not even a willingness some people don't see and sometimes some people are more introspective than others you know mm-hmm. that's why i call it a skill because in my conversations with people i realize some people just are more natural and being reflective in that area while others look out. I don't know what that is, you know, that blocks people from looking in. Well, it's pride. We can see That's that. the bottom line. It's pride. It's pride. Pride never never sees itself. It never sees itself. And so when you're dealing with individuals who have a challenge in seeing themselves, and then let's not mention if they're not in on the opposite on the other end of their paradigm where where they see because people can say I grew up like this, I grew up like this, but don't see how growing up impacted them or created them or wired them, which is being introspective. So this is where the breakdown comes in from my conversations with people in the area of abuse. Because it's really hard for some people <clears throat> who are full of pride or don't see how, you know, and, and Pastor Chandler mentioned that, you know, regarding paradigm, what have you, don't see the impact of their paradigm in their present day relationship, real time relationships. Those things can be challenging for individuals. And I would love to hear a conversation if anybody have any thoughts on that regarding how do they deal with that or have they ever talked with anyone who had to navigate that space of um, dealing with people who might not see that their words or their actions are hurtful. Mm. Um, you know, in, in the meantime, and yes, yeah, so, so we're, we're, we want to open up the room for anyone to give any questions or comments um, on this subject of dealing with various types of abuse and being at aware of it in our marriages um you know the, I, i'm i'm sure people it, it, the goal is not it, as we discussed to try to get people to throw your husband or your wife mm-hmm. up under the bus but what i would really love for us to do is to be used to use agents word introspective and say man is this abusive when i do that or could that be interpreted as abusive? You know, the first scripture I read from Ephesians 4, 31, 32, it said, be kind to one another, be loving to one another. And many times when we're not being kind, we're not being loving, it can be, it's many times, it's borderline yeah. abusive. Right. But do, do people realize they're not being kind? If you think about it, I think, you know, you if you, if you call someone stupid, is that being kind? You, you you know you're not being right. Kind. Those are those are are those are very I guess extreme. I'm talking about um I'm you know 
I'm talking about those personality idios that are kind. You know, and they don't, think, they're not meaning to be kind. So how do you how do you get to this place? Because some when we're talking about these things, it's on the extreme to be introspective, the extreme where you call people names. Well, then I can say, oh, you hold, withhold from sex. Then you can say, that's not cool. But I'm talking about the the impact of the paradigm on persons, people skills, personality, um, how you engage. How do you get, how, you know, where do, where, how do you get to a place to be introspective there? Because, I mean, we can say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. How do, how can we help a person to become introspective in that, in those times, in those areas? I'm really like, about that. Like I had a, a thought when it comes to um, the lack of introspection that people have. Um, when a person wants to get better at something, they're always open to feedback and development. And like if it's if it's their one way to get better at their money, get better at a particular skill or sport. And I think oftentimes our relationships skills or that that ability to be better in our relationship kind of goes to the back burner, goes to the bottom. So, you know, we'll we'll discipline ourselves to do certain things or we'll take the feedback to be a better employee or better manager, better business owner, but we won't necessarily open ourselves up to get the understanding, the wisdom to be a better spouse or a better parent. Or, you know, in, in relationships. And I think with something like marriage, faith, and family, what we are doing, we're encouraging people to, to develop these skills to make your marriage and your relationships better. But to, to kind of piggyback on that, I think some people, unfortunately, you can, you can tell them all you want to. And, you know, you can, it can be four or five different people saying the same thing just in different ways but i think unfortunately there are some instances where you have to hit rock bottom before to to make the light bulb come on you know it's like it's like if you're excuse me it's like if your doctor is telling you you know that you need to exercise and change your diet or whatever so that you can bring your blood pressure down and they've been telling you this for the last 30 years and you still don't do what you need to do, then you run the risk of having some other more major health complications because you wouldn't listen in the first place, Mm. you know? And so I think, unfortunately, like I said, I think some people, again, like you, like you said a little while ago, Pastor Marsha, pride comes before the fall. And sometimes people are just in such a place where they're thinking of themselves so much more than they should be and they're wanting to control their situations or they're wanting or they really at the end of the day have such low self-esteem that they feel like they have to and and it's it's subconscious almost it's like they Mm -hmm. sub subconsciously have to degrade and demean somebody else so much to the point that and it just happens so long that they literally get to a place where they hit the floor and even that sometimes doesn't jerk them into reality or the reality of how their behavior has affected their their spouse right that's good adrian because when you're talking i'm i'm, I'm thinking in a, in a, um with a person in particular in mind and um it's everybody else problem and issue 
They don't see how they treat people, talk to people. And if you bring something up to them, they are very great in gaslighting. You know, and so, and I've realized, you know, in, in dealing with this individual, it's the paradigm. It's the paradigm. And, and I realized outside of that person possibly hitting rock bottom or seeing how their paradigm impact, they could tell you about their paradigm backwards, forwards, frontward, sideways, all kinds of ways. But they don't realize how that paradigm has shaped them and how they communicate with people, how they treat people, you know, and, 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 and bottom line, just how they talk to people. And they don't see that all of that can equal up to being abusive. You know, and it's and the most interesting thing that you also said they had to hit rock bottom, which is so unfortunate. You don't ever want anyone to hit rock bottom. But when a person can't see, won't see, and it's really hard to be that person to try to point them to the sign so that they can see. I mean, at that point, you know, there's a there's a there's a stepping back to some degree for your person have to protect their own uh, well-being, emotional health, you know, because this person's so toxic. You know, talking about this whole concept of being abusive, now, those of us who know better, we've been raised differently now, we got more exposure to psychological things and ch child-rearing and raising children, et cetera. A lot of us w would recognize that we were abused by our parents. Mm -hmm. Now, our parents would never say they abused us. They would use, to, they, they would, they were training us, disciplining with us, whatever, but no one wants to acknowledge that they were abusive. Okay, so when I was a kid, I was beat with an extension cord. I don't care what you say, that's abusive. And so no one, you know, there's always some, some justification for it or whatever, but hopefully what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get people to do is to think about how you're treating your spouse, how you're talking to your spouse, how you may be uh, manipulating them or attempting to manipulate them emotionally. And then here's the biggest thing. You know, I think people end up being abusive when they feel they've lost control. Mm. And when you lose control in your attempt to now get control, bring things back under your control, you can become abusive. Definitely. Whether that's to a dog that won't sit down, okay, or, or a husband that didn't come home on t the time that you thought he would. So, so many times we have, to, we have to recognize that there are things sometimes that we are not going to control. Mm -hmm. God does not want us controlling our spouses okay the bible said let them have dominion now let me so let me use this so i'm, I'm sure there may be some people among us here um look, look, looks like we have mainly women with us but this is even more so for for brothers and even for women to even understand this about submission i always say submission is a gift that you give someone out of honor and respect S submission is granted not demanded. Okay. Um, and so you cannot make someone submit. In, in, in an attempt to make someone submit, you can become abusive. Mm -hmm. 
So a submission is a gift that a wife may give her husband. Some cases, my husband may give his wife out of honor and, and respect. But when you when you try to demand or make someone submit to you, that becomes abusive. That that becomes manipulative, um, and that becomes domineering. Which got, there's no place even in scriptures where God created us for us to be dominating over one another. Domineering that power. Does. This is, I'm, I'm sorry, Bishop. This is something else that um. Jamal says often is that if you really have a prayer life, I don't think God would even let you get to that point because I know when I'm, if I, when I'm spending time in prayer, if there's some kind of issue that I'm having with him and it's really nothing to do with him, God's going to show me about myself you know, first before, you know, I'm even as I'm maybe complaining or venting or whatever, um, it, or expressing my frustrations in my prayer time, God's going to say, no, Adrian, what about this? What about that? You know, what about those things in you that may be contributing to why you're feeling frustrated or, you know, whatever the situation is. And so I think, I wonder if, again, it, again, it kind of it goes back to this this concept of introspection. If we're really spending time with God like that, you know, and 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 even if you want to be specific and say spending time with God about your spouse, about your relationship, then I don't know that you could become. I don't know that you could either become abusive or continue to perpetuate abuse because God's going to show you whatever it is that needs to change. If you're really open to hearing him and, 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 you know, or seeing in a scripture or whatever, what, what it is that he has to say about it. The agent question. So you're saying that it's unlikely for a person with a prayer life to be abusive. I it, it just makes me wonder. It it makes me wonder, you know, cuz we can we can go to God and, and this is just me I'm just thinking. Mm-hmm. Thinking out loud. Um we can go to God with our list of things, right? You know, our mm-hmm. list of things that we either want or need him to do for us or other people or you know, our list of our list of things that, you know, we're we're in expectation for. But for me, I find that even when I go to God with my list and it can be a list of good things, um, but particularly if it's a list of things regarding our relationship, then he oftentimes is, is going to show me an aspect of myself that I need to improve on you know, or something about myself that's not quite lining up with his word about us. And so I just wonder if people who are abusive and they are Christians and, you know, they say they have, you know, and they may be a person who can, you know, quote the Bible verbatim front, you know, cover to cover, 
but do they really, are they really listening to what God is saying to them? Because I just feel like if you really listen to what the Lord says about you, you can't help but to make some adjustments. My response to that is two things. Number one, you said if you really have a prayer life, so now we have to define mm. what a prayer life is. Right. Because you mentioned something. Just because a person gets before God with their list, and just because they talk to God, mm-hmm. does not necessarily mean they have a prayer life. And um, because, as I so often teach, real prayer is dialogue. Mm-hmm. I talk to God, he talks to me. So some people, they have a, they have a monologue prayer life. They talk to God about what they want to talk to God for, make their petitions and lists and requests, and then they're going on about their business. And so without seeking him, because I think part of prayer is seeking him, part of prayer is getting quiet, part of prayer is is being able to tune into what the Lord is speaking to your spirit. Some people, they don't do that. Even if they religiously take time to go go before and pray and chant, whatever. And the second thing is, I believe God can show people things, but because we're free will agents, we have a will. He can show us, but whether we respond to it is a whole different thing. Right. Okay. Now, I know that now if we we all know, and 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 there are people here, and I don't mean harm, but you may go to you may go to churches with abusive pastors. Okay who are verbally abusive or abuse their power or threaten people or, um, and if the pastor, the bishop, the apostle, the archbishop can get up in the pulpit and before people and be abusive with his authority, the man of God and the woman of God, then surely people can be abusive. Um, as Christians in our marriages. And again, they'll they'll justify it. It's just the way I am. I'm a strong leader. No, you're being abusive. You don't have to talk to people like that. And just because people are submitted to you, that doesn't mean that, that that's how you talk to people. And 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 some of us and so if you come from a background, now let me I'm kind of veering off here, but if you come from a background, you came out of an abusive home with abusive parents. Okay, you go to abusive church with abusive spiritual leaders. It's very likely you're going to end up in an abusive marriage, either where you are being the um, the victim of abuse, or you are be or you're being victimized by abuse, or you're being the perpetrator of of abuse. Thoughts on that? Again, I. I we're willing to open up, um, moderators. Um, I don't know if you got if you have hand raised and turned on, but I would love to hear some um, responses, some dialogue, some talk, some questions uh, from those who are in the room about dealing with abusive relationships. Have you ever been in a relationship that you realized I had to get out of this relationship because it was abusive? I want to add this comment too, and and we'll stay on the question, repeat it for y'all as y'all make your way to the stage. But I was thinking about what you said, um, Dr. Marshall, earlier about um, you know, what does it take to look in look at it, there you go, that works. To look to look at uh 
to look internally into yourself, to basically judge yourself accordingly. What does that look like? And I was thinking about earlier, uh, one of my points I wanted to mention is if you never had to rebuild your life before, or you never had, if you never were ever in deep trouble or did anything really that life negative, that can negatively life alter your life before, you don't know how to, you may not know how to like add those voices in your life or say, what can I do better or whatever, because you never really had anything in smithereens like that. And so I was thinking about like, you know, uh, for that person, maybe wondering like, okay, how do I know if I'm, if I'm wrong or off because my whole wiring's this way, or this is how we're married. This is how we do us. And, and I have seen and know personally of some family members I have far and close that, um, you can get used to the person's wiring. And when they stop doing the very thing that you want them to stop doing, you may not even know how to function no more. You got what you want, wanted. Uh, whether it's a man or, or, or the husband or wife being less controlling or less hounding you, but you got used to that hounding and that hounding helped you function. That, ab- that abuse helped you get up for work. That abuse helped you get your clothes together. That emotional abuse helped you come home on time and now it stops. And so I, I wanted to throw that out there as well. Like, like you know, we're, we're talking about this change and moving our marriages into a better space but when that happens how do we not go back to what we think was comfortable but also was dysfunctional too so i was just so you so you basically you basically start functioning your dysfunction yeah and the and the dysfunction becomes normal because it's all that you know and what you what you've been used to yeah that's what you want to that's and I think, I think marriage is the easiest space where you can literally survive functioning in your dysfunction. Like definitely, I, it's the, it's, and that's the hardest. That's why I feel like it's the hardest place for change. Like you can change with your kids. I mean, you'll do whatever for your children, right? You, everybody, make, or at least we think our dream self. We want to be a better mother. We want to be a better father, or or what have you, or employer, and the other list that uh, uh, Minister Jamal you were saying, but. When you tell me I have to be a better husband and this is what it takes and not my opinion disagrees with you, my soul disagrees with you. Like you don't know my wife and you don't know what's going on in my house and you don't know what it takes for us to get to where we need to go. And you don't know what I've been through with him. And so it's just such a, it's like a root canal. So while y'all were talking, mm-hmm. I, and, and that's why Adrian said it's so heavy. While y'all were talking, I literally was hearing like a, at the, you know, you go to the dentist's office and you hear, zzz, and it's like, ah, it's like, are we really about to go here? How do we do this? How do we unpack this? But this is so good that we're here yeah. dealing with it. It's a lot to unpack. It really is. It's a very heavy subject. There's so many layers to it, um, you know, which is why I say it's so broad. I kept saying it's a broad spectrum here, broad spectrum here regarding identifying, recognizing, um, dealing with, and moving on from it. And, um, you know, definitely, you know, can't really unpack all of it. You know, but but it's but it's a serious thing because we we're seeing marriages disintegrate and break up because of abuse. Right. And going back to what Chandler was saying was, um, you know, far as how do you function? Because, you know, marriages are breaking up because of abuse, because one has decided not to live in the dysfunction anymore and one doesn't know how not to be dysfunctional it is 
is, you know, this is how I am. This is how we love. This is how we do. You know, and um, that's where the actual, you know, the coming apart happens. You know, and so when you recognize that, okay, there's some growth, you get your answer prayer regarding this dysfunction, but this is all you know. I mean, learned behavior is very hard to unlearn. So, and as couples and and marriages, we learn how to live with each other. We learn how not to cause disruption and and we learn how to have peace you know and and you know so when you realize i walk this way i i talk this way or not talk to have peace and now when the person say i'm not like that anymore you're looking at them like okay yes, you know, <laughs> yes. this is all i know you know and so um I think it takes some, it really takes some time for, for that to really go the way it should go. It really takes some time with that other person who say, I'm not like that anymore to realize they were like that and realize some trauma that you might've caused to that person's psyche. And when they do come about some stuff, when they trying to work through it, that you don't gaslight them and like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. But you have to realize, no, I've been like this for 10 years or five years and has created this invisible fence. You know, it's like we all wear these invisible fence dog collars within our marriages. And it depending on, and basically we don't know how a person's psyche is, is formed and how many zaps they can take before it just breaks them, mm. you know? And so we can say, and sometimes I think it's the, the we do disservice um, to each other and based upon how you was raised and all the zaps you took and you was able to like be one, you know, be great. And the other person is struggling. We don't know the fortitude, you know, uh, of, of individuals. And so I think it's, you know, it's conversations, you know, a conversation with yourself, Pastor Chandler. Okay, this person changed, you know, okay, help me not to be in this place. Help me to grow in the area I need to grow. And then having the conversation with this person, you say, well, you realize that the reason why I'm saying this or asking this is because you did X, Y, and Z. And uh, and what I discovered, people make this, turn this leaf over and expect everybody else to understand I turned this leaf over. But you got to bring forth fruits of repentance. Bring forth fruits and repentance, but also give a person time to heal. You know, you got to give a person time to heal and, 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 and really move past that place that they would traumatize. And that the reality is, and that's what we're talking about too. When, when you're dealing with the abuse, a person was traumatized. Now, and there's all kind of trauma specialists today, you know, um, that's trying to help people to move and live past trauma. And not to mention the impact on the body and the mind when someone had dealt with trauma. And they said, well, I didn't beat you. I didn't cut you. I didn't shoot you. What have you. But who's to say that just because I don't have these physical wounds, that these emotional wounds aren't just as gaping? Yeah. So our goal is, y'all, our goal is to not merely try to look like the family family on the funeral fan 
for those of us who grew up in churches, particularly African-American church, where they used to always have the funeral fans and had this beautiful family dressed in church clothes. And usually sometimes they have their hands folded, they folded like they're praying, looking up towards the sun and look like this beautiful family. And a lot of times we come to church and we, we looking good, but we got this dysfunction going on in the home. Whether it's physical abuse or 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 the the way we're talking to each other sideways in the home, and yes, I hate to say it, y'all, but I know there are Christians who are literally cussing each other out in the house, being extremely disrespectful, name calling, all all these type types of things. And so, um, I want us to think about: Are we being loving and kind to our spouses? Um, or in some type of way, am I doing something, being abusive or doing something that borderline could be abusive? And the, the, the other thing I want to say about this is that we can't get stuck in intent. Well, I wasn't intending to the issue to acknowledge and to bring about change, like Adrian was saying earlier, in addition to prayer, is if your spouse is communicating to you that something hurts them or doesn't, or or is abusive in some type of way for you to get stuck in. Well, that's not what I was intending to do. That may not be what you're intending to do, but the outcome is what your spouse is telling you. That's the outcome. And so you, so if, if you're going to bring about change, you got to focus on the outcome, not your intent. Cause you, you can defend, you can defend intent all day and nothing changes until you recognize well, if that was the outcome, I need to do something to change this that we don't continue to have that type of outcome. Was anyone to raise their hand? Nope, no one. I see on my side. Okay. Sure, I, I, I love the fact that you were talking about uh, control and power and that God has not called us to dominate over our spouse. I think, I think just in general, believers, particularly male believers, need to hear that. that yeah. I mean, there was a, a older deacon in our church and he was, he really came and gave me some counsel early in our marriage. And he was saying he had a very domineering personality with his wife. And he said about the 20th year, she just said, Hey, Hey, hey that's enough. That's old. We ain't talking to each other like that no more. And it, and it shocked him. Uh -huh. but, but, but I mean, but it, from but that point on, he, he changed it. He changed the way he was interacting with her. Cause she was just like, I'm, she just had got to that breaking point. And so he was warning me. <laughs> Like before I get into this marriage, like just don't get into the habit of being like that. Then you right. have to adjust this power dynamic later on in your marriage. He was like, now, when you said that we shouldn't be domineering, over, if you're if you're in a situation where you feel like you're you're in control in in uh, when it comes to you versus your spouse, I think that's something that you need to evaluate. Like, why is it that I'm the loudest voice? Why is it that everybody's like? Why is it that um there everybody's walking around eggshells around me? Like, what is it that I'm doing or saying? In making this dynamic happen. Yeah, you know, and Jamal, you, you've heard me tell a story years ago. I was, you know, before I was full-time in ministry, I was working in corporate America and I was a, a claim manager and I would come home, I would be stressed and uh, I would come home and just start yelling, yelling about the kids' shoes, yelling about toys, just yelling. And uh, one time I was yelling, y'all, you better move this, I'm tired of this. And Marcia said to me, she said, you realize this is this, these, this is uh, these kids' house too. They live here too. You know, in my mind, there's my house. Everything revolves around me. 
and that was and I was being abusive. No, at that moment, I may have been uh, uh, swinging a belt or getting a switch or, or or put my hands on them, but this this creating this tense environment through control control trying to control the environment through my volume is a is a form of abuse. And again, I know these are things that many Christians do not talk about. And sometimes until it's too late, but we we've done enough of these. We've done enough counseling with couples to know this stuff is happening. And if, and, and, you know, even as the cases are rising now and things are going to be limited again, going to at least be limited or or people going to voluntarily limit themselves. You got to be able to live with your spouse. You got to be able to be home together. Um, Without one feeling like you got, as you said, you know, you know, like like you're walking around eggshells uh, because one of the other is abusive, or if you push their button, they're going to become abusive. I see we have Sister Bernadette up on the stage. Yes, Bishop, can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, I wasn't going to say anything. Of course, I normally don't say anything, but um, this was just too important for me not to because I'm in my third marriage. Thankfully, this is a fairly healthy marriage, but my first marriage was very abusive. And um, at the time, I was going to a church that was very, I don't know how to say it other than male dominated. Mm hmm. Um, the only excuse for separation or divorce, in their opinion, that was biblical was adultery. And um, my husband was very emotionally, verbally, and financially, I might add, abusive. Um, he did things financially like pull money out of joint accounts and do things with it that was supposed to be for bills. So maybe the power wouldn't get paid. The power bill wouldn't get paid because, and he wouldn't tell me that he had done it. And I wouldn't know about it until it was at the point where something was going to be turned off or Mm. we were behind on a payment. And it was just, for me, absolutely nerve wracking. And I was in that marriage for nine years. But at the end, you said something about um, abuse being a matter of like sometimes you manipulate your partner into questioning their own sanity. That was where I was. And that's what convinced me that despite the fact that I had been to my pastors over and over again, telling them what was going on, we had even talked to them together and they just kept telling us It's God's will for you all to stay together and you need to work it out. And they never addressed any to me, any of the things that were really the problem. They just, it was just kind of like, you just need to find a way to stay and make it work. It's what I felt like I got all the time. And since that time, I also realized that there's a lot of women who um, have been in that position in particular churches that, where they felt like um, it was their their fault that they couldn't make it work, that it was something. I kept thinking there's something that I'm not doing right. If I could just change the right thing about me, he would change and this would work. 
And I didn't get anything any different when I was talking to my pastors. Of course, looking back, I'm sure they didn't even have the tools or the means to be able to tell me anything more than what they did because they weren't trained counselors or anything. But um, <clears throat> I just, at a certain point in time, just decided that I wanted to live because I felt like I was dying in that marriage. I don't know how else to say it. I felt like little by little, I was just disappearing and dying. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I was sick all the time. And it's like my body was just going crazy because I was just trying to make myself stay there and go through all of that stuff. And um, finally, I did see a therapist. And my therapist looked at me one time and went, how sick are you going to have to get before you realize you just really need to leave? And I was sort of like, I don't know. And even when I left the first time, I ended up going back after a few months. But the last time that I left, I didn't go back. And um, I just want to say that just for anybody who's struggling or going through anything or that thinks that um, you and Pastor Marcia and Jamal and Adrian and Pastor Chandler are just kind of whistling ditzy or whatever and just seeing something. This is real. I know many since then I've talked to many people that have gone through this kind of thing and you just have to it's just been such a help to me being up at right direction because it's helped me to rebuild things that I didn't even know were still destroyed about me emotionally and mentally. I feel like God started putting me back together, especially with understanding the importance of praying in my heavenly language. Things started to really come together for me as far as my mental state and my emotions when I started doing that on a daily basis. And I never knew how important that was until I was under your teaching. So I'm just going to be quiet now, but I just wanted to say awesome. that. Well, I hope it Brenda, helps somebody. Yes, yeah, Sister Brenda, thank you for sharing that. You know, um, and so you you lived through this where, where the abuse got to the point that it totally disintegrated the marriage. And that's what I'm trying to cause people to not get to that place. You know, it's, it's, you know, by now people have listened to us, you know, that we are 100% very much pro marriage, pro family. Um, but when someone has dealt with years of abuse, you know, I, I mean, I, that, that person, many times they have to make decisions about whether they can deal with this. And, and and in some cases, in some cases, it is for the sake of their own sanity. Yeah, so the, that it that, was for me. Yeah, that can be very, that can be a hard place to deal with. So again, Brenda, thank you, thank you so much for for sharing that tonight. Sure. Was there anyone else? Question, comment. Is that Antoinette? Yes, it is. Oh, Antoinette. Okay, so this. Hi, hi everyone. Um, Bishop, this is a um, this is a lengthy question. Um, so I'm I'm going to um be kind of long on well not long but I actually wrote it down. So this is this is um something that I need to make sure I have clarity on. Um, in regards to what was spoken tonight, um, there was mm -hmm. a lot of wisdom and definitely a lot of godly um 
implementation that um, I would definitely utilize. Um, there's just one other thing that, um, that I think is very important for everyone here in the room, um, which is once a person has addressed or gotten the godly counsel from um, households that we grew up in that had unhealthy parenting, and also um, when we sat under controlling um, leadership, um, how, how do we navigate through a traumatic situation that may come up, um, you know, that's, of course, that's out of our control um, without um, becoming abusive or allowing abuse to happen to us? Hope that question makes sense. Um, uh, explain to me what you mean by navigating through a traumatic situation. What, what type? Give me an example of this traumatic situation. Okay, say someone went through a trauma in their life. Um, they were once in a ha uh, healthy state, um, but a trauma happened, and so they gotten the counseling. They gotten the necessary counseling um, that was needed. Um, and so then they got back to the healthy state. Um, I know that triggers can somewhat um, cause a person to act out of character um, if those triggers haven't been addressed and healed. But how, you know, how do they remain in that healthy state, in that healthy um, yeah, state of mind, state of being, where they can have that healthy marriage? Healthy marriage, because from what I'm understanding, um, there is always going to be something that may come up. And so how do we navigate through that? Um, I know there's prayer. I, I understand that. I know about what you said earlier, and, and we do listen. I mean, we petition God, and then we listen for his direction, his instruction. But it, um, but how do we, you know, remain in a healthy state where we can have the, these healthy marriages that, um, that we're seeing on this platform on tonight? Hi, Antoinette. I, I'm glad you brought this question to the to the table because it's um, something I was going to suggest in closing for us to maintain um, our health and be on the right side of things, seeing things in the light. You need to have um, voices in your life, objective individuals that you you yeah. can talk to and they can you can help process things through and with. Anytime there's trauma, that there has been some type of trauma, there will be triggers. But having those conversations um, with a therapist, with friends who are, you know, pretty um, spiritual counseling, spiritual counseling, in a pretty objective and and you know, and have a good handle on the word, can really help you to see that's a trigger. It's not the person. And um, and you can begin to learn um, some tools, get some tools that you can put in your toolkit, which I typically say is so that when that trigger is touched and, you know, and tapped, you can pull out that tool to handle that trigger. And so that's just the next step of counseling, the next step of processing, you know, um, you know, so therapy, continuous therapy, you know, checking in, I, you know, sometimes people go through to therapy, go through therapy for a, a matter and it's six weeks, eight weeks, what have you. 
But, you know, just like you go for an eye exam, a physical, you know, that you check in, you know, regularly, yearly, you know, or quarterly, quarterly with a therapist so that you can make sure that you're seeing things in the light. Um, journaling also helps you to process your thoughts and feelings, you know, that you begin to write what you're feeling at that moment, you know, you know, without any, you know, concern of or shame. It's like no condemnation. This is my pen and my paper. And then when you reread them, you can say, oh, okay, I was seeing this like that. And so you can begin to learn how to process things yourself, develop those skills. I call them skills because everybody's not introspective. As you can start seeing some things and realize, oh, this is not so much the person. They don't mean any harm, but there's a trigger that's still healing or it needs to be shut down or dewired. So those are a couple of things that you can do to kind of move past trauma or even or even thrive, be your best at that moment, okay? At that mm-hmm. moment in that season with the trauma that you went through, believing that you'll continually get better as you continue to process, as you continue to heal, as you continue to talk and do what you need to do. And and one thing I, I want to encourage people, I mean, when you go through therapy and when you go through you know good therapy, they give you tools. You know, they give you tools. You put those tools in your toolbox. I, I really say that because, you know, toolbox help you fix things, you know. And so when you when you feel like there's a hiccup, okay, I need to address this. I need to fix it. And I no longer need to kind of go to this weekly se- session because now I have these tools I can apply myself. Now I can go to quarterly. And then you can talk about all this stuff that you went through the last, you know, month or two, and you can kind of like tweak whatever you need to tweak. And and I agree. So the other side of that um, is when you have those skills, which you're speaking of, um, because I have a counseling degree, okay. um, how do you address or make sure that you're not coming across in your relationship as if you're counseling your spouse? Because that, that has, you know what I'm saying? You're not, sure. you're not, okay. Yeah. That's a hard one because your spouse knows you have a counseling degree. So it's, it, it, that's going to, that's the lens that they're going to see things, you know, and, you know, and you know, I mean, you know, after, you know, you, you know where you may be in this whole dynamic and communication. And if your heart's pure, your heart is pure. You know, and so, and you got to, you know, and so it's really challenging sometimes when you, you may, you know, have some type of skill and the spouse may say, you're just trying to do this, but you can reassure them, no, I'm not doing this. I'm just trying to get an answer or I'm just trying to get clarity. I'm trying to understand, you know, and those are, those are some hurdles that you have to kind of, you know, try to navigate through um, with continued conversation and reassurance and you know and you just have some insight into some processes that he may not have and he just may need some reassurance there thank you so much excellent answer and full of wisdom thank you thank you for sharing thank you so much for and for sharing tonight 
All right, y'all, let's pray. Father, I pray for every individual, every couple that uh, is in this room tonight. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to even have this discussion to raise our consciousness about how we can need to be better husbands, wives, navigate through our relationships in a way that we don't become abusive to one another, that we will really fulfill the scripture, that we will be kind-hearted and tender-hearted one towards another, forgiving one another, that husbands dwell with their wives according to knowledge, and wives would uh, show respect to their own husbands. Father, I come against every hindrance, even things in our past regarding our socialization and how we were raised and what we were used to and what we've seen. Holy Spirit, be our revelatory light to show us what is right and what is wrong. And thank you that you work in us both the will and to do of your good pleasure. So I thank you, Lord, even as a result of what we've heard tonight, we're better and our marriage is better in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.